My name is Hamza Brown, and you're listening to me on Above and Beyond. Hi, it's Mike Myers here with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation. REA's mantra is to engage, inspire and educate students, teachers and industry about the value of STEM careers and STEM at school. today with alumni royalty. Hamza, a student that went to Trinity Grammar, who is a famous F1 Schools school. You've produced two world championships now. That's right, yep. Your teacher is a wonderful teacher. We'll get to him in a second. In 2012, you went to the world finals and competed and came fifth outright. Yep. But the interesting thing about that, it was a collaboration team. I think one of our first collaboration teams. Maybe you'd like to explain what a collaboration team is, who you worked with and how that came about. Yeah, so uh, we started off in that season of the competition as a team called Pinnacle Engineering, uh, which was comprised of four members from our school and we placed second at the national finals in Adelaide in uh, in early 2012. And REA came to us with the opportunity to merge with the development class champion team Raindrop Racing. And they were the team from uh, the same state as us, Victoria, but a country town, Kyabram. So, yeah, it was a merger of a city team, being us from Trinity Grammar and Kyabram, who were also a fairly new school to the competition. And they were in the development class. We were in the professional class. Uh, We came together for the world finals for one big team. But you're still a fair few hundred kilometres apart. That's right, yeah, a few a few hours drive apart. So we weren't really within... Cooey. Cooey distance. Uh, most of our meetings happened over Skype. So I remember a lot of, I think Friday afternoons was our regular weekly Skype meeting with the Kyabram half of the team. How did you enjoy the process of collaboration? Because it's not an easy thing, is it? No, uh, it was actually a big part of the learning curve and we had to deal with for the world finals, I suppose. I think a big part of it was the team management and the way that was split up. Of course, coming from two teams into one, we had two team managers going into who is the team manager now. And that was an interesting experience of how do you divide up the work and how do you uh, make sure people are still on track also when you're not also directly face-to-face with them every day. So I think that was a big part of the challenge. It's not about the technology. It's obviously about people working with people over distance. That's right. It's about the communication skills, those things that we used. So what was your end role in the team? I was the design engineer. So at national finals, I was the only design engineer for our standalone team. And then at the world finals, we had three engineers working on the car. Three? must be a big job. It was a big job. What were the hard bits? So I think... The, the hardest part about it was, like I, like I was saying before, was dividing up the work equally between each other. And so the way it ended up being was that I was the design guy. Um, I would do the CAD work and produce things ready to be machined. And then they would be sent out to Kyabram to use their machining facilities and their paint facilities as well. We worked on the, we being the Trinity side, worked on uh, the material selection as well. So the 3D printing that we did and a lot of the collaboration 
was done in Melbourne as well. So the collaboration with RMIT University and a few of the other companies that we worked with. So collaboration is not just between you as the team, it's between you and industry as well in many instances. That's right. Uh, one of our partners was Holden and we had the Kyabram half of the team come down to Melbourne for the day and we all met up in Holden's office. I remember sitting down in their boardroom, a huge room, and it was just the three engineers and a couple of people from Holden and we were explaining our car design to them. Seems really cool to me. <laughs> yeah, it was an enormous room and it was a really nice view out over the city and... Yeah, I just remember being a little bit overwhelmed. But What did the Holden engineers think of your design? I think they were a little bit uh, taken aback by how much we'd already done as far as the aerodynamic analysis and the sort of mechanical engineering that had already gone into our design. I think they were expecting us to uh, not have much of an idea of, I suppose, basic physics that might be applied to it or, you know, the basic concepts. But I think we were already a little bit ahead of their curve. As a collaboration team, you both had, had to raise money and uh, it's a fairly expensive exercise to go to a world final. I think it's nearly $65,000 worth of money. How, how was that process? How, how, was it an easy process to do? Was it difficult? How, how did you go about that? We found it, it was quite beneficial to have a collaboration team in this instance because it was almost as though there were almost like two different parties going out to find sponsorship. And we had really, really great support from the local community in Kyabram who were really keen to support the team going overseas and going out to Abu Dhabi where our world finals were. We struggled a little bit with sponsorship on our end being in the city, I think, because we had already been in the competition for two seasons. So it was almost as though our sponsors were getting a little bit tired of giving us money. Burnt out. <laughs> um, but no, we, we got all, all the money together in the end and it was a similar experience to the Holden experience actually on a few occasions where we were going in. I remember going into one meeting in Docklands here in Melbourne and I went in, again into a boardroom. We had a presentation and we were presenting to the CEO of a company and that's always an interesting story to tell that you were presenting to CEOs in year nine or year 10. Given that you've had to raise a lot of money, had to collaborate over distance, had to work with industry through the whole process, seems like it's a very all-encompassing exercise that you have to go to to get to a world final. Yeah, that's right. And I think a big part of engineering, which sometimes doesn't get the headlines, is that it's always about teamwork and it's about working together. Um, and it's not about the individual talent of one person that gets you across the line. It's about who you work with. So I think one of the really big strengths of our team was how much we collaborated, not only within the team and our inter-team communication was really good, but also the fact that we went out to the industry and we went out to the universities and we asked them for help and they were more than happy to give it to us. So if we move now to after F1 in schools, you've only just completed your mechanical engineering at Monash University. Yep. Maybe you've tell us a bit of a story about what's happened along the way because you've had some interesting experiences. Yeah, so since finishing school, remained in touch with the F1 in schools program with a lot of mentoring activity couldn't quite get away from the program after going to the world finals. I think that happens to a lot of people who have been in the competition for a while. Um, so I was involved with the Hyperdrive team and helping them out in 2015 when they went to their first world finals. And then in 2017, when they went on to Malaysia and actually won the world finals. So I kept up my F1 and schools involvement. At the same time, I made the most of some of the opportunities that were there at university. So in university they have uh, another motorsport challenge like F1 in schools 
just scaled up, which is the Formula Student Challenge or the Formula SAE. And they're also building a race car, which races against other universities. And this, in this case, it's a single seater. And I was involved in the aerodynamics for that team. And that was in first and second year. In third year of university, I had the opportunity to apply for an internship with Airbus in the UK. And I've always wanted to work in aerospace. I've always wanted to work for Airbus. I never imagined that that opportunity would come up while I was still in university. And so I put in an application. The application was sort of at midnight before the due date. So it was a little bit rushed and I thought nothing of it and sort of forgot about it for a couple of months. And then at 11 p.m. one evening, because they were calling from the UK, I got a call and they said, we'd like to fly you out here for an assessment centre. And that was the interview process that I went through. So I was a bit nervous about going out all the way to the UK to do that, but I uh, took the leap and I did the interview and managed to get the job with all of the F1 in schools experience behind me. How did they rate that experience that, you, that you'd had in F1 in schools? I think it was the, the critical thing that really set me apart against the rest of the candidates. Because there was many thousands of students applying for these um, a couple of positions? That's right. There were I think they said there were 6,000 students who applied for internships that year. How many internships were you talking about? Uh, across the company, I think there are 40 or 50. Yeah, when I went into the interview, I actually took my F1 in schools things with me. So I had my portfolio from the world finals. I had my uh, the car that I'd taken to the world finals. And as I was talking, I was using a lot of examples from my time in the competing in the world finals, dealing with teams, dealing with conflicts, all of these situations that they ask about in interviews. And I took out my things on the desk in front of the interviewers and they were just amazed at how I'd been able to do CFD and CAD and all of these things. And I, I hadn't even finished university. So how long were you at Airbus? What kinds of things were you doing while you were there? I spent 12 months in Airbus. I spent 12 months at Airbus working in the coolest department, I think. It was the flight test and systems integration team for the fuel and landing gear components of the aircraft. What that involves is it's a very practical job. So you're not just sat at a desk all day. You're actually out testing the fuel systems. You're sometimes you're on the aircraft. You're doing tests with the engines, uh, with the fuel pumps, and also with the landing gear as well. You're testing failure cases. So it was a really interesting job with a lot of variety. So I think one of the stories I heard that you were flying between London and Toulouse and Paris regularly on a Learjet. So they had a, a one of the coolest things I think about the job was the amount of travel that I got to do. So I think I went down to Toulouse, which is where the headquarters is 13 times and I went out to Hamburg in Germany once as well and this was down on the company plane so you'd get to work at 5am in the morning catch the shuttle bus down to the airport Bristol airport and you'd be on the plane by 7 and the plane flies down to Europe you walk out of the plane and Airbus their sites are on the airports themselves so you get off the plane you're practically walking into work at 9am at the same time as everyone else in France. And that was a really cool feeling. What are some of the examples of the kinds of things you're doing in that role? Um, I, was doing, I was doing a lot of uh, analysis of test data. So there were um, flight tests going on for the A350, which was a brand new aircraft at that point. The A350-1000 variant, which is the slightly longer range version of the aircraft. They were trying to certify that at that point. And so certification means you're proving to the authorities that the aircraft is safe to operate 
essentially. So we need to do a whole range of tests that they do on the aircraft. Some of them you're able to do when the aircraft is not flying, so you can do them in a lab environment. And those are things like fuel pump failure cases. Uh, what would happen if you lose your fuel pumps? Does the system respond correctly? Does the pilot get the inputs that he needs in order to rectify that situation? So it was that sort of checks. So they have lab tests, which we would mainly, mainly be doing in the UK. And then they also had ground tests and flight tests, which were done on the aircraft, either taxiing or in flight. At this point, you'd only done two years of engineering at uni. Yeah. And now you're off being an engineer, yep. doing these quite complex processes. Yeah. And that must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a shock to me in a sense that they were putting so much trust into me <laughs> at that point in the in my degree. I mean, I hadn't actually qualified it as an engineer at that point, but they were sending me and another grad so, for example, when we went to Hamburg, it, they said to me and another grad who just started three months ago, hey, can you design the tests and fly out to Hamburg because we don't have any other resources that can do it in that week. So if it's all right, can you two just go out and do the tests? And the guys in Hamburg will help you, but you need to know what you're doing. And that was just amazing. Like, I'm only 20 or 21 years old at this point. So since then, you've come back and finished your degree at Monash. What's, what's in the plan now? I gather you have a number of options. I know you, I'm not trying to push you for a yeah. solution, but there are many options on the table, I gather. Yeah, so I've got a few, I've got a few options on the table. I've been working this year in rail engineering with a consulting engineering company, and they're keen to have me continue on. I know that Airbus are also keen to have me back. And yeah, there's, it's interesting, the opportunities that sort of knock on your door sometimes you don't really expect. I was going to say, when you started, did you imagine that that could ever happen? I suppose I always hoped it would be the case, but I never thought it would happen to me, no. In terms of F1 in schools, what are those things that you've learnt from the process that really have set you apart or made you feel like things are much easier now? I think two things, um, which I've already touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast. One of them is the aspect of teamwork that comes up in engineering all the time. In university, we have a lot of group projects that we have to work on and having had the teamwork experience in F1 and schools and the ability to start to be able to resolve conflicts in the team or even just be able to suggest ideas with confidence in a group environment, I think that was really key transferable skill out of F1 in schools. The second thing I would say would be having the bravery to, I'm not sure if bravery is the right word, having the confidence to go out and actually ask for help because we found when we were competing in F1 in schools that really we didn't know that much about how to design wheels or ball bearings or low friction systems or CNC machines. We went out to industry and asked them, hey, how do we do this? And I think that's been something that I've carried through, not being afraid to ask questions um, when I don't know the answers because people are actually more willing than you think to help you out and give you those answers. Going back to school, your teacher, Peter Clinton, what role did he play in the process of you being so successful? He's an amazing teacher and he's probably the main reason that I am where I am today. I think he was the one that picked me out the pack in year seven or might have been year eight when we were doing our design and technology classes 
and said, hey, do you want to get involved in this F1 in schools program? I didn't know anything about it at that point. From there, I found out about how he'd been a part of our school's F1 in schools history since the very beginning when the Stingers went on to win the world finals in 2006, I believe. So he's got an amazing amount of experience and he he guided us and helped us through many of our challenges and many late nights, yeah, many stressful moments throughout the competition and in preparation for the competition. And he was always a calm voice um, that we could rely on and be able to talk to and always helped us to do a really good job. So would you rate him as a teacher or as a coach? I think he is more than more than a teacher to me. Um, he's been a coach throughout my life, yeah. Certainly one of the most influential teachers, if not the most influential teacher that I had. His management of, of the team, was that as a coach to guide you all? Yeah, it was it was guiding us all. It was it was a hands-off approach, so it wasn't that he was doing all of the work for us. Um, it was that he was showing us how previous teams had done things. He was giving us hints about how we should go about things and what path we might want to go down. And he was always there and happy to go ahead and proofread our portfolios and sit in on our presentations and give us some very critical feedback at times, but it was feedback that was necessary and it really helped us to grow. Yeah, I think we really couldn't have gotten anywhere without Peter. So looking back, if you were to give some advice to students about being involved in firstly in F1 in schools and then maybe secondly taking on an engineering career, what would you say to them? For students in F1 in schools, I think the biggest thing is to not be afraid to go out and ask for help because when you're a student, you don't know a huge amount about how the engineering process works, about how you're meant to go about designing things and people in the industry and in universities can guide you and help you out on that path. Would you recommend F1 in schools to students? Absolutely. It was, it's been a huge part of my story and not just for engineering really, because I know that the people in my team have gone on to do similar things to what they did in F1 in schools. So for example, Charlie, who was the team manager in our team, was uh, also involved in the marketing and he's gone on to a marketing role now. So I think the skills that you learn are not just applicable to people who are interested in engineering and maths and science necessarily, but whatever you want to do, I think F1 in schools can help. And finally, a career in engineering. Would you recommend a career in engineering to students and why? I think that engineering is so much more exciting than people know. And I found that out through the internships that I've done and of course F1 in schools as well. Um, there's so much variety in the world of engineering. A lot of people think maybe that engineering is quite a boring job. You sit at a desk and you maybe do equations and maths all day, but it's really, it can be completely the opposite. You're working on very interesting, very large scale things. You c- it could be very small scale things, but fundamentally engineering is a little bit like medicine in that it's helping to change people's lives for the better, for the most part. And that's what I really like about engineering. That gives me my sense of purpose. Well, Hamza, that's absolutely wonderful hearing from you today. I'm sure other students will love that. And I appreciate you taking the time to come and have a chat to us. Thanks for having me. 